following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. There are some people, maybe even in this room, who think really different than everybody else. They just think differently. And it reminded me of a physics exam, a difficult question that was asked, and how one student answered that question. Here was the question on the physics exam. Describe how to determine the height of a skyscraper with a barometer. Physics question. One student answered this way, you tie a long piece of string to the neck of the barometer, you lower the barometer from the roof of the skyscraper to the ground, the length of the string plus the length of the barometer equal the height of the building. There you go. Well, this really original answer so incensed uh, and angered the examiner that he immediately failed the student. The student then appealed on the grounds that his answer was indisputably correct. And the university appointed an independent arbiter to resolve the situation. The arbiter judged that the answer was indeed correct, but it didn't show any indicator of understanding of of physics. So they determined what they would do is they would call the student in, and they'd give him six minutes to give an answer to that same question orally, and they'd give him only six minutes to answer the question. He came in, and he sat there. They started the timer. And for five minutes, he said nothing. And the arbiter said, wait a minute, you've, got to, you've only got one minute left. You've got to answer the question. And the student said, oh, I have many answers to the question. I'm just trying to figure out which one. And then he finally popped off with this answer. He said, firstly, you could take the barometer up to the roof of the skyscraper, drop it over the edge, and then measure the time it takes to reach the ground, the height of the building then can then be worked out from this particular formula, which he, he stated, but he said, but bad luck for the barometer. You know, it's gone. He said, that's one way to do it. Well, the arbiter got really curious because he said, wait a minute, what about all those other solutions that you were thinking about? The student then went on to say, well, if the sun is shining, you could measure the height of the barometer and then set it on end and measure the height of the shadow and then you could measure the length of the skyscraper shadow and simple matter of proportional arithmetic, you could work out the height of the skyscraper. Or, he said, if you wanted to be highly scientific about it, you could tie a short piece of string to the barometer and swing it like a pendulum back and forth at ground level, then swing it back and forth on the roof of the skyscraper. The height is worked out by the difference of the gravitational restoring force that this formula, which he stated, could work out. Or, he said, if the skyscraper is on the outside emergency and it has an outside emergency staircase, you could just take the barometer and measure it in barometer units, marking the wall as you go on your way up and give the height of the building in barometer units, right? He said, that's one way. Or if you merely wanted to be then boring, he said, he gave the answer that they really wanted, which was you could use the barometer to measure the air pressure of the roof of the skyscraper and then on the ground, measure the air pressure, convert the difference to millibars into feet, and that would give you the height of the building. But he said, you know what my favorite answer would be? He goes, what? Well, since we're constantly being exhorted to exercise independence of mind and apply scientific methods, undoubtedly the best way would be knock on the janitor's door and say to him, sir, I have a very nice barometer. I will give this to you if you tell me the height of the building. (laughs) The guy 
who actually gave all those unbelievable answers was Niles Bohr. And Niles was at the University of Copenhagen when he did this, and he's the only Dane to win the Nobel Prize in physics. Really smart guy. But what I like about him was that he thought differently. He thought differently. In fact, out of the box different. And this morning, why that applies to you today is you and I need to think differently about what it means to be spiritual. What it means to be spiritual. Open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6 if you're not there already and you have your outline and follow along with us. As we're working our way verse by verse through this book, we're just wanting to let the Bible speak for itself here at our church and to draw out what he meant. And he has a phrase in Galatians 6.1 and it says this, you who are what? Spiritual. It's obviously referring to those who are walking in the Spirit, those who are filled with the Spirit, dependent upon the Spirit, etc. But what is shocking is in this context, as he defines spirituality. He tells you when you are spiritual, this is the way that you will behave. And it's radically different than what the world thinks, and it's radically different than a lot of Christians think. To be spiritual. Now, God is very clear here. Spirituality is not defined by you. It is defined by God and His Word. Amen? It's not looking within yourself it's not finding some sort of experience or lighting candles or sitting in a dark room cross-legged with candles burning, etc. It's not your own ideas about Christianity or your ideas about who God is. It's not even something we produce, spirituality. Spirituality is when someone has been transformed by Christ, by faith, in the work of Christ and His resurrection and death on your behalf and understand that when you're born again, you obey the Word by depending on the Spirit of God and as you are, then He manifests Himself through you and that is spirituality. That is spirituality. Interesting enough, it is not a private thing, it is a public thing. In fact, Paul's going to tell us in Galatians chapter 6 that it really, when you're spiritual, it affects all the people around you more than it even affects yourself. In fact, it's not about focusing on yourself and your heart and going on an inward journey. It's about serving. It's not about your emotions. It's about God engaging others through you. You need to think differently about what it means to be spiritual. Think differently. In fact, last week, we started this passage and we looked at verses 1 and 2, and Paul defined a spiritual person as doing some really radical things. So read aloud with me, if you would, from your outline, verses 1 through 6 in Galatians chapter 6. Let's read it together. Everyone together? Ready? Brethren, if any among you is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. The one who is taught the word is to share good things with those who teaches him. The main indicators of a spiritual church or a spiritual Christian are six things that come out of each verse in this particular passage. It's pretty easy to outline. When you cooperate with the Spirit of God and God indwelling you, this is how you will behave. Now, understand, if you've been with us in the study of Galatians, he's already established that salvation is something that God does to you. Amen? 
that you don't work for your salvation, that God did the work on your behalf, and you're just entrusting yourself to that. When God then covers you with his righteousness, he also changes you internally, called being born again. He gives you a new heart that wants to do all the things that are listed here in Galatians 6. Listen, the issue today is not, i got to do this, i got to do this, i got to do this. It should be that in your heart of hearts, I want to be this person. And if that want to is not there, that's a very clear indicator that you might not be his child. Even if you fail to do it, the want to should be there. Because the transformed heart wants to obey the word of God. Amen? It does. So here in verses 1 and 2 that we looked at last week, it was mainly, it's all plural. So he's talking to the church family. And now in verses 3 through 6, it's mainly singular. So now he's talking about you You who are spiritual, you who are the spirit-filled ones, you who are in Christ, this is what you will be like. So let's review a little bit. Last week, verse 1, he basically says a spiritual church will pick others up. You'll pick others up. Look what he says in verse 1. He says, brethren, if any of you is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted." A truly spiritual Christian is one who is currently walking in the Spirit. You see a brother and sister who is trapped in ongoing sin, graciously, kindly, brokenly, carefully, you seek to restore that caught believer to their walk with God. You try to help them deal with their sin. Like a doctor who sets a bone He carefully does that so that it's restored. Uh, Like a hiker who gets his foot caught in a crevice, you come and you help them get their foot unstuck so they can continue on their journey towards heaven with Jesus Christ, right? And being like Christ. Spiritual believers don't shoot their wounded when they're stuck in sin. They provide care. The word restore means mend the net. It, It means to repair the bone, to settle the dispute. So that those who are caught in sin might be freed from it, they pick them up graciously. So what we're saying is if you're born again, you'll have a heart that wants to help others stuck in sin. That's part of what it means to be a believer. And you'll grow in that and mature in that if you're truly a spiritual or spirit-filled person. Secondly, a genuine spiritual church, last week we looked at, holds others up. Holds others up. Now, this takes a little more effort on your part. Look at verse 2. To bear one another's what? Burdens. And thus fulfill the law of Christ. Christians have burdens in this context. No question. He's talking about burdens with sin. Battles with sin, right? But he's also, you could add sorrow, doubt, failure, loneliness, health drains, etc. And often, when the Lord sometimes gives us a burden, we are incapable of bearing that burden on our own. And so therefore, he wants us to come alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ, and like spiritual bellhops, we carry their burden bags until they can carry them themselves, uh, until they're basically ready to continue in their walk with Christ. And so when those burdens overwhelm us, that should be within the context of the body of Christ, when you're spiritual, you don't just say, oh, tough luck, Charlie, you come alongside And you carry their burden, thus we fulfill the law of Christ, which is to love one another. That's what it means, to love each other. And that was all last week. So now, as he turns the focus to you, and you, and you, and and you right there that I can't see in the light, right? Yeah, you too. 
he's saying in verses 3 through 6, this is how you become a spiritual Christian. So how do you truly become spiritual? Well, these verses will change the way that you understand spirituality, measure maturity, even grow godly. A spiritual friend, verse 3, considers others as more important than themselves. Considers others as more important than him or herself. Verse 3 is one of my life verses. It is this, for if anyone thinks he is, what? Something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. If you think you're something, you are a self-liar. You're lying to yourself. If you think you're some sort of big number, God's going to remind you you're just a big fat zero. Okay? That's what he's telling you. Now, this is definitely contrary to our society and the whole self-image thing. But don't forget, you are a vessel that Christ lives in and works through. The Bible continues to affirm this everywhere. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says... But we have this treasure in earthen, what? Vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not ourselves. When he says vessels there, he's talking about clay pots, the bottom rung of pottery. The ones that are easily broken, easily used, they're used for common everyday things in the first century. Paul reminds us, all of us are just normal everyday, not really cool looking clay pots. Anybody in agreement with that? But if a Christian, you have Christ, the creator of the universe, the Lord of glory, the one who saved us, deserving all glory and praise, living in you and living through you. Therefore, you are nothing and Christ is everything. Write that down. As you deal with others, You remember who you are and treasure Christ in you and treasure Christ, watch this, in others. In others. Each of us need to be reminded who we are. When you get all worked up about how others are treating you badly, when you get concerned about someone not noticing you, when you get burdened about not getting credit for something that you did, Uh, when, When you have to win the argument with your spouse, they must be wrong and I must be right, then you've forgotten that you're nothing and Christ is everything. At that point, listen, get a full bucket of water and put your hand all the way into it and then draw your hand out and notice the difference that your hand made in the water. Did you notice? The answer is what? Nothing. Uh, Remember how temporary you are. It's really good to be reminded. Our society has removed death from us. We're often reminded of death. And interesting, a month after you die, it will be your family who remembers you. Maybe a few friends will slip you a memory thought. Each year, that memory will diminish. Each generation will come and go. And in two to three generations, no one will remember you at all except God himself. God promises to never forget what you've done in his name. In fact, he says, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, take a look at it. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown towards his name. Watch, this is all expressed in ministry. And having ministered and still ministering to the saints. The Lord will remember, but no one else will. We've forgotten only one life soon passed, only what's done for Christ will last. 
Remember what's eternal. God's word is eternal and people are eternal. So treasure them for Christ's sake. Care for them for Christ's sake. Love them for Christ's sake. See, what's happening in the Galatian churches is this. that Remember the salvation issue, right? They've confused the salvation of by God's grace through faith in Christ alone. They've messed that up. And so there are those who are clinging to salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. Others are beginning to drift as believers even into keeping the law, uh, into festival attending and circumcision as a way to earn favor with God. And then a few dogmatists were actually teaching that Christians had to be Jews in practice first before they could be saved. So all this is going on in the context of each one of these churches. And while the sound doctrine of righteousness comes only by faith, righteousness only comes by Righteousness meaning we're right with God, we're perfect before God, we can stand in His presence. That comes only by faith in Christ, where He covers us with His righteousness and our sin falls on Him. That only must be upheld. That is something that we treasure. But at the same time, Paul did not want the church to tear itself apart. Nor for those who hold sound doctrine to think, verse 3, that you're something when you're actually what? Nothing. You deceive yourself. Do you know what destroys considering others as more important than yourself? Do you know what destroys it? Thinking about yourself all the time. How much of your life, and by necessarily, you know, we got to get up, we got to brush our teeth, we got to wash our face, we got to shave, we got to do whatever we got to do. We're thinking about those things, but how much of your free space is actually consumed with you? Thinking about you. What you want, doing what you like, satisfying yourself, and where other people would look at you and go, it's all about you. Selfish people don't serve. Selfish people don't enjoy others. Selfish people don't work to maintain unity with others because they're too busy prioritizing themselves. So Paul is going right after that, going for the throat in this verse, because how we treat others depends greatly on how we look at ourselves. If we think we're something, we're not going to give to anybody. But if we think we're nothing, we realize that it's all about Christ through us. And people who have this high opinion of themselves are usually unwilling to carry anybody's burden, let alone help anybody with their sin struggles because they're just too self-centered. Still others get caught up in their own abilities, their own gifts, their own talents, and they're also lying to themselves or fooling themselves. I, I love the true story, a stewardess on an airplane, she told heavyweight boxing champion Muhammad Ali to buckle his seatbelt. He retorted back, Superman don't need no seatbelts. And she just as quickly retorted back, Superman don't need no airplane. <laughs> but a bing. Paul was not exaggerating when he says, you're nothing. It's a theological description here because we really are nothing. John Calvin said it this way, we have nothing of our own to boast about but are destitute of every good thing. If we are anything at all, are you ready? It's because God created you and the Lord redeemed you. And guess what? You read the book of Revelation you get a clue about what we're going to be praising God for for all eternity. Are you ready? Two things. God created you and God redeemed you. That's what we praise him for. What he has accomplished. 
think differently. Those who are spiritual are not in a self-consumed journey out into the wilderness lighting candles and humming. No, those who are spiritual are those in the Spirit, consider themselves nothing and Christ everything, and therefore they consider others as more important than themselves, and they want to serve others and give to others with all their heart. Again, please don't lose sight. This is all based on what God has already done. This is not what you work up in yourself. When you are redeemed, he gives you, Romans 6.17, a heart that wants these truths lived out. And that's the foundation. We don't want to look at this out of the context of Galatians. And the big question this morning is, do you want to do these things? If you're saying no, that's bad. If you're saying yes, then it should be slowly being manifested in your life. Amen? That's the point. Now, that was a hesitancy there on the amen. It should be manifested. It can't be something that you keep talking about. It can't be something that you know about. It can't be something that I know other people who live this way. It's you. Every single person in this room should want to live these truths out. That's the point. Verse 4. Look at it. It means also that you don't compare yourself to others. You don't compare yourself to others. Verse 4, but each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to somebody else. Basically, look at the second half of verse 4 first. The church is battling over doctrine and direction. What happens when that happens? Well, people divide up, and they go, "Ah, my view is the right view. And they begin to divide up and kind of pound on each other about you know, who's right and I'm right, and they're boasting. And that's what he's talking about here. I knew a man who stood up in a hostile church meeting and boasted, I am the keeper of the bylaws. Man. And that was a massively arrogant statement. It wasn't an elder. It wasn't even somebody who showed up to church. He died two weeks later. Boasting and bragging are not godly. And instead, we should be simply embracing the normal understanding of the Bible that's revealed in apostolic truth, which came from Paul in this letter, and cling to Christ and not our opinions. Your trust, your boast is in Christ, not in you, nor in others. Your ministry, your boast, is, is, is basically standing or falling on the basis, are you ready? Your ministry counts for God's kingdom when it is for God's glory and empowered by God himself. That's it. Those two things have to be present. That is done for his glory, and it is done in the power of Christ. Anything you do, whether it's set up takedown, whether it's your teaching, whether it's your discipling, it's in the strength of the Spirit and for the glory of God. Whether you're helping someone who's caught in sin or bearing their burdens, verses 1 and 2, you can't be evaluated by anything other, and including the approval of others, but just by looking at your own heart before the Lord, is it done for His glory, and is it done in the power of the Spirit? You have to say, I want that, for that to count for His glory. That's why your, your boasting is really something that is negative. When you start comparing yourself to other people, you need to realize that if you think you're better than them, you're sinning. You're proud. 
you're self-centered. If you think you're worse than them, you're self-centered, proud, and sinning too. Comparison is really bad in the sense of you only want to basically recognize that God made you unique. He gave you a certain kind of giftedness, a unique, unique combination of giftedness by the Holy Spirit at salvation, unique heart for God, unique abilities, unique talents, unique personality, unique experiences. Each of you is what? Unique. Comparing yourself with others is only motivated by pride. Who's better, who's worse? So Paul says in verse 4, but each one must examine his own what? Work. Is it done in the power of the Spirit? Is it done for the glory of God? When you desire to evaluate your life, though, don't compare yourself to others, but do compare yourself to Christ, and do you compare yourself to His Word? To think biblically about your walk with God, compare your spiritual life to what it could have been and what it should have been. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, For through the grace given to me, again, it's all based on what God did, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Each given a measure to exercise their giftedness. It's important to test yourselves before the Lord. It's important to examine your heart and sharpen your gifts and deal with your sin bents, but that should be done with close friends and family and not too often, otherwise you're going to grow ingrown eyeballs. I've known Christians, they're constantly examining themselves, which means all they are is thinking about themselves. The spiritual person thinks differently. They examine their own heart, they look at Christ's character and example, and they avoid comparing themselves, and they serve others. They try to free themselves of themselves. A true spiritual friend, verse 5, is also responsible for his own walk and ministry. His own walk and ministry, verse 5 commands us, for each one will bear his own what? You know what he's saying there? This is a military description. You're part of an army, and you are working together, but you're a soldier. So verse 1, you're restoring those who go astray. Verse 2, you're bearing the burdens of your fellow soldiers. Verse 3, you treat those soldiers as more important than yourself. And verse 4, you're not comparing yourself to the other soldiers because you have a specific job to do, and you can't be leaning so hard on others that you refuse to carry your own load. Verse 5, every soldier has a pack to carry, right? It's filled with supplies, food, his weapon, his kit, his gear, his equipment for his unique role. And Paul says, verse 5, what? Carry your own pack, soldier. Carry your own pack. Just You, I have given a specific job to do, and when you do it, we're more prone to win as an army, especially when we don't have to carry your load. Are you getting it? You want to carry your own load so nobody else does. Now, I I told you that I used to backpack all the time, uh, and then I got married and married a lovely woman who hates dirt, so that went out the window. So, understand. But, I love backpacking, and so I'm taking these junior hires up to the high Sierras, and I I told you I had an 85-pound pack, and it was... Super heavy because I had all this health stuff and all these medicines and, and, and kind of a little mini stretcher even if a kid got hurt. I just wanted to be prepared. You know, I was kind of paranoid and so I wanted to make sure that they were ready to go. So we're walking up. The first part of the hike is one mile. It's flat. It's by its a river. It's incredible. Then the middle of the hike, no joke, is five miles of the most gruesome switchbacks that are just uh, that known to man. You go almost 3,500 feet. It's incredible how high you get. And then at the top, it's flat again until you get to the west. Well, we're 
two-thirds of the way up the switchbacks. And the last kid who's lagging behind, because I'm like a mother duck, you know, everybody's moving along, want to make sure I don't lose anybody, falling off or getting eaten by a bear or whatever. And so this kid, he looks up at me and goes, I can't go on. I quit. I go, we, we can't quit. Everybody's already up there. We got to go. He goes, I can't do it. I go, you got to do it. I can't do it. I'll cry. And he starts to cry. So I'm like, okay. I say, take off your pack. He takes off his pack. He goes, oh, I can do it. I can walk. Great. So I grab his 35-pound pack with my 80-pound pack, and I walk the rest of the two miles up the switchbacks, and my hand has never forgiven me. <laughs> it was unbelievably hard. Once we got to the flat territory, I put the pack back on. No problem. Okay, that's nice. All right. This is why we bear our own load. Because when you do, you affect the performance of your fellow soldiers and in effect you malign and, and hinder the entire army. Every man, every woman has their particular responsibilities to your savior, correct? Uh, to your wife, to your husband, to your children, to your family, to your work, to your church, to your finances, your future, your witness, uh, the gospel, etc. All of that is all our responsibilities God has given us. Very clear in the scripture. You cannot pursue your ministry and ignore your family. You cannot ignore your ministry and invest only in your family. You're responsible. Carry your own load, Paul says, verse 5. Now look at what he says in verse 5. The burden in verse 5 is different than, if you look at verse 2, the burden that's articulated there. They're not contradictory. They're actually complementary, and they're different context and usage here, these two verses balance mutual accountability with personal responsibility. Verse 2, that burden is a heavy load that needs to be shared by others. It's like putting a giant weight on a cargo ship. It's like we, we the church, are now sharing your load together. That's what he's talking about. Verse 5, though, he's talking about the soldier's backpack. Your burden that you carry, a lighter weight each individual is given can carry. There's a weight that each of us must carry, and that weight is our own personal responsibility before God. Now, what you might ask is that. God's given you a unique set of giftedness that only you can put Christ on display in a particular way, a certain kind of personality, a certain stewardship of time and finances and people that you interrelate with, certain kind of circumstances that God has raised you with, kind of personality, etc. All that is your situation in life. You will not have to answer for what someone else does. You have to answer for the way that God made you. Are you getting this? Wear your own load means live the way I made you and fill out the responsibilities you have in the way that I made you. You were made to carry the responsibilities that I gave you. Does everybody know what a sexton is? A sexton is back, you know, 1600s or so, was the church janitor. He's the guy that cleaned the church. He's the guy that dug the graves. He's the guy that rang the bell, right? And so now you'll understand what Martin Luther meant when he said this, quote, a faithful sexton, a janitor, is no less pleasing to God with his gift than a preacher of the word, for he serves God in the same faith and spirit. Are you getting this? You are responsible to do what you are supposed to do. I'm responsible to do what I'm supposed to do. When we all do it together, God is glorified. Are you getting this? It's pretty clear, isn't it? God's not going to judge the sexton on his basis of his ability to preach, and God's not going to judge the preacher on the basis of his ability to repair the church. Now, I've got weaknesses 
Does any man in the room want to admit that you have shortcomings? Anybody? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the front row. What's wrong with you people back there? Okay, so. <laughs> sprinklers. Anybody? Anybody with me on sprinklers? Sprinklers, I've said this audibly for years, are the bane of my existence. They're glorious when they work. When they don't and they blow up, I, I turn into a dribbling fool. I don't know what to do. So there are men in this church, a couple of them in particular, I call over, and they're like whizzes. They just, you know, and all of a sudden it's like, runs better than ever. You're like, man, how did you do that? And I'm watching them. I can't figure it out. And they look up and they, no, to get it. They, they, all three of them said this, Chris, you preach, we fix sprinklers, okay? <laughs> now, God's going to judge us on the basis of our gifts and our ability to do what we are called to do. And God says, whatever you do, do it well. Do it well, like, 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 a, like a slave. Do it well. Whatever you do, Whatever you don't do, understand God's going to hold you accountable to what you've done, what you haven't done. And he says to the slave in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord and not yourself, not for others. The sweetest blessing of living under the sovereignty of God who causes all things to work together for good, who, who does as he pleases, who works all things after the counsel of his will is this. Are you ready? There's always enough time each day to accomplish God's will. And there's always enough energy each day to accomplish his will for that day. There are people who never, never serve, never give, never involve themselves in any way because they're afraid when God says, I'll take care of that. I'll take care of it. Oh, it's not always going to be easy, but I'll give you the time. I'll give you the energy. It will be what I determined it to be in the way that you serve. Think differently about spirituality, friends. This is all about our corporate relationship. It's not about humming and meditating and having a moment. It's about being responsible to live according to your biblical responsibilities. Verse 6. Verse 6, the spiritual friend will support his church and its teachers. Look what he says in verse 6. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Now this almost seems out of place. I kept wondering, why is this here? Until you realize that for elders to lead the church battling with doctrinal strife, which the Galatian churches were, for men to be freed up enough to feed the flock and train leaders to shepherd God's people, they've got to be supported to pull that off. Otherwise, the church is going to collapse. In order to maintain unity, there needs to be a crew who together care for the flock, shepherd the flock, not merely their small portion, entirely and especially in the midst of spiritual attack which is happening in Galatia. So what do you do? Look at verse 6. The one who has taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. This is the spiritual man, this is the spiritual woman who are giving and supporting and encouraging the shepherds of their church, especially those who teach the word. This is exactly what the Bible teaches. Take a look at those verses that are listed in your outline. At 1 Timothy 5.17, the elders who rule well, there's one category, are to be considered worthy of double honor especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. There's the other category. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his, what? Wages. Look at 1 Corinthians 9.14. But also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel 
to get their living from the gospel. And 1 Corinthians 16.10, on the first day of every week, each one, every single one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. The spiritual man and the spiritual woman are not those who have filled out every merit badge on their Awana vest. The spiritual man or spiritual woman are not those who, when they say the word, do not pronounce the word God with a certain kind of God inflection. The spiritual man and woman are those who faithfully give to the church in order to support the equipper, the teacher, so that the church can be bathed in God's word. It is so God's word can guide the church and not divide the church. And so the spiritual man and woman will give to God's church so they do so regularly, sacrificially, and generously. That's what Paul's saying here. To solve this issue, there needs to be men who are freed up so they can give themselves to bringing the church to unity under the truth of God's word. For, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says, The attitude is regularly, specifically, generously. He who sows sparingly will also reap what? Sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's part of the attitude. Those elders who work hard at preaching and teaching, those who rule well, are to be financially supported by the church. You're to support them generously, not so they become rich, but so that they can minister without being overtly burdened about the providing for their own family. They need to budget they need to plan, they need to clip coupons, but they should not be straining under the weight of trying to provide for their family or their future when they're trying to feed God's family. And the ministry of shepherding, leading, and especially preaching is costly labor. You understand it's work. Let me put it to you this way. It's war. Who more than anyone else has the target painted on their chest for the enemy to shoot at? It's your elders. And so, therefore, you got to support them. you got to care for them. you got to love them. Pastors are never to be greedy, never to be lazy. Ugh. On the other hand, churches are not to control their pastors by finances or manipulate them that way. And a minister must be freed up to spend his time preparing to teach God's Word. It, it must be easier, and it should be easier for him to throw himself into his work when he's not distracted by financial concerns. Don't leave yet. Just kidding. Um... Money always chases people out. Uh. <laughs> Those poor girls had to go to the bathroom. So. <laughs> to, be, <laughs> to be spiritual, <laughs> you're to support some of your pastors and teachers. Look, Martin Luther, what did he say? It's impossible... That one man should be devoted to household duties, that's work day in, day out, the regular eight to five kind of thing, day and night for his support, and then at the same time pay attention to the study of the sacred scripture as the teaching ministry requires. Spiritual Christians use their money as if it belonged to God, because it does! And they use it according to heavenly priorities and not this world's. They invest it into eternity, supporting the word of God, being accurately taught, and the gospel being unashamedly proclaimed by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, so that God's word here and around the world can be accomplished for his glory. Jesus was super pointed. 
And when he talked about these things, he talked more about money than anybody. And he said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your what? Okay, one more time. This is not about you earning points with God. This is about a heart that's been transformed that says, I want to give to his purposes. I believe that this is all about him accomplishing his purposes on the planet. It's not about you trying to give more so now God likes you more. No, it's not that at all. It's all about what do you want? Do you want to serve and engage and help others with sin and bear their burdens and care for them financially? What do you want? What's in your heart? Because Jesus said, look, the heart will indicate where your treasure really is, what you really value, who you really are. And that's what this passage is all about. It's about when you're indwelt with the Spirit of God, He's going to want you to do these things, and you're going to want to do these things. Think differently about spirituality. It's not manifested by a guy or a gal sitting in a closed room or out in the wilderness somewhere with legs crossed going, hum, hum, hum. That's not spiritual. It's how you deal with each other. That's the godly man. That's the godly woman. That's the godly student. Caring for others, giving to others. So take this home, would you? Letter A, are you truly a spiritual person? And I want you to give yourself a score, okay? This is just absolutely wicked for me to ask this, but give yourself a score. One is you're not spiritual at all. Ten is you're super spiritual. So give yourself a score, a number. Spiritual people will restore one another from sin. They'll bear one another's burdens. They'll consider others as more important than themselves. They are, spiritual people, responsible for their own lives. They don't lean so heavy on others. They, they do not think too highly of themselves, and they generously share financially with God and His purposes through their local church. Where are you at? Give yourself a number. You say, I put number four. That's spiritual. Why that number? What, what's it going to take for you to be a six or a seven and truly manifest what Paul has talked about here? It's not about who you know. You know, I know John MacArthur. <laughs> who cares? Who cares? Uh, it's not about what you do. I hope plant churches in Siberia. Oh, wow, cool. It's about you being broken, dependent upon the Spirit of God for everything in life and serving others and giving to others because you want them to be like Christ and come to Christ. That's what it's about. That's spirituality. That's genuine Christianity. Letter B. Letter B. Are you embracing that you're nothing? You take Christ and his word seriously and not take yourself seriously? Do you demonstrate that you love his word and prayer? You're seeking to be filled with the spirit? You're, you have a heart that's tender and, you know, it's, we're, we're definitely imperfect, but this is your desire. This is what you want. It also means you're a little bit more tough skin. Because uh, you know why? When you're not about yourself, then it doesn't matter when people do stuff that, you know, hurts you or whatever, you're not easily offended. You're not really worried about getting credit. You're not really worried about being noticed because you're nothing. He's everything, right? Are you getting this? 
and you're currently not seeing yourself or your children as always the victim, it's always their fault. It's you pursuing being nothing and Christ is everything. You're freed. People can whack you around and you're like, ah, whatever. It's all about Christ. It's all about serving him. Let us see. Are you responsible for carrying your own load? This something is super important and I probably won't say it well enough. But if you came to our church and you came wounded from another church, would you please don't do anything for six months? If you're messed up from another church and you came here, listen, just sit. Drink in God's word. Be loved by the body. Let your heart get healthy. But once you do get healthy, then would you begin to bear your own load? You know, six months or a year or whatever, start serving, start giving, start caring for others. Life in the Spirit is never, ever experienced in isolation. Even the fruit of the Spirit is all about demonstrating it. Not just with your family, but the family of God. This is foreign to the church. There are so many people today who have no connection to the church family, no relationships, no ministry, no shepherding, no discipleship, but the choice to be a spectator and not a participant is absolutely foreign to Jesus Christ and foreign to the New Testament. Letter D. Are you identifying your own load? Have you discovered what God made you good at? how he demonstrates himself through you, the way you put Christ on display. Have you learned what he made you to do? What is your purpose in this generation? What good works has he prepared beforehand that you should walk in them? When you do that, you know what happens? It is the most glorious thing ever. All of a sudden you go, I know what part I am in the body of Christ. There's a spleen. There's a liver. uh, There's a a lovely face. Uh, Whatever. Okay. All that. Spleen and liver were two guys. Um, you, you kind of understand what part you are in the engine of God. You know where you fit. And it's glorious because then you're like, I'm not everything. I'm just part of the machinery here to put Christ on display. Listen, there are no other Davids and Sarahs and Peters and Pauls and Barnabases and Esthers. We can learn from them. You can't be them. There are no other Spurgeons, MacArthur's. There are no other Luther's. There are no other Pat Levises. Only one. Just you, learn your giftedness. Learn by serving and ask other believers. Learn and get in touch with your heart, your desire for His purposes. Reflect on your God-given abilities, your providential experiences. Pursue becoming the man or woman that God desires you to be. Find your fit in His engine, in His body. When you begin to identify your own load, guess what? You become much more free to serve others. And letter E, are you fruit-bearing or deed doing. This is actually in relationship to the context here. The Holy Spirit is the one who bears fruit. Now watch the distinction. He does that through you. Love, peace, patience, kindness. He does that through you. He only can do that through you. There are other people who can do deeds. But guess what? The deeds of the flesh are deeds. You can imitate them externally. But the question is, is there love? Is there joy? Is there peace in your service? Is Christ manifested? Listen, he didn't die for your sin just to cover you with his righteousness and make you ready for heaven. He died to transform you internally. You should have a new heart that wants to manifest him, to put his fruit on display. And only he can do that. 
He came that you would have all you need for life and godliness. Is that true? Or are you still striving to try to earn his favor? Listen, if you're in Christ, you have already earned his favor. He did it. He said, here's my favor for you. It's done. Past, present, future. You are in. Then just manifest him. My prayer, I think Paul's prayer for the Galatians is don't get all caught up in all this. Don't, don't, don't get distracted by this. Realize you will, as a believer, want to serve people, help them with their sin. You'll want to bear their burden. You'll want to forget yourself and focus on him. You won't want to compare yourself to anybody because you're so unique. You'll, you'll definitely want to carry your own responsibilities, but you'll want to give Give to his purposes. You'll want to serve. Serve for his purposes. And only he can pull that off. And if you don't have that heart, maybe today you need to turn to Christ. And if you do, then continue in that journey to manifest him and to show that you really are indwelt with the Spirit of God as we relate to one another. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. We pray that you would honor and glorify yourself by how we respond to it. And we'd ask that you would be glorified by how we react. And that may you do your work in our midst. Impact us, convict us, change us, mold us. So that we would be the men and women you want us to be. And we'll give you all the glory for what you'll do. Because you deserve it all. We thank you. We praise you. And we honor you. As our God, as our King, as our Savior, and as our Lord. We want to be with you. But until then, to be faithful, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.